podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, Mike. Good to see you. Straight off the bat, just to be clear, you know, you and I have worked together a long time. Uh, if you too want long. to call it too, some might say, some might say too long. If you want to call a timeout at any stage in the next three or four minutes, that is going to change the whole dynamic of the rest of the show. I will move from uh, a very relaxed and calm and composed and uh, a position of togetherness to an aggressive and, okay, it's game on then. So just to throw that out straight off the bat, gotcha. think carefully about that. What on earth was... What on earth was he thinking, Mike? To call? I mean, or are you buying into that at all? Do you think that the Raiders' mindset changed when that timeout was called? No, I don't think so at all. Mm. Um, I, I think that that's, that's what they were going to do. Um, and it, 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 makes, it, it actually makes a certain amount of comic sense that someone might say that to another player af- after the game. I think they would have settled for for the uh for the tie but it was the 10 yard run that changed when jacobs got that 10 yard run that changed their their perspective i think um mm. they they might well have so said they got the 10 yard run after the after the timeout yeah but that you know i i just think staley uh it's hard. i i mean you don't know it would have been very cool for them to to knock the steelers out by tying because that would be a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity. Uh, on the other hand, Raiders Chargers is a long rivalry, and you you know you get a certain amount of of frisson out of beating your about being your beating your old rivals. Mm. Um, you know, I really didn't give it a whole lot of thought. Um, it's it's not something it's not something that matters so much in the big in the big term and and whenever a carlson gets to win the game in a lap yeah, in the last love second i love that good. i love that. the ice man carlson i love that underrated player and then some and that was the story of the game really from the raiders point of view wasn't it that uh, to the most part the big game players that needed to stepped up and played at, at the height of their games crosby obviously Carr had some clutch throws particularly in overtime jacobs of course you mentioned that break of run and carlson as well so that's very very much the tale of that game but i, I still can't get a, a hold of the i really feel strongly that the change of trajectory i know we'll never know and then because it was <laughs> such a surreal chain of events and maybe it's because i was you know watching it at 4 45 in the morning and, uh, <laughs> and was heavily influenced by our old friends alan chris but i really felt and Carr was playfully it flowing throwing petrol on it afterwards wasn't he but i really felt that they would have probably winked and nudged and and taken the tie and then timeout called and that was that was game on but we we shall never know to me the the chargers got a couple of really bad breaks and you know storm norton was an alliance of american football player you know mm. who's having trouble in starting life they moved him inside and he picked up this the the worst penalty call of the weekend in a weekend loaded with bad penalty calls, you know, for being ineligible downfield. Yeah. Um, he had, you know, he had gone downfield with a block and when the guy fell down, he, he just turned and blocked somebody else. He, he was nothing to do with the play. It was, it was an unnecessary. And then when you see Mike Williams getting mugged in the end zone, you know, yeah. and still making catches, it, it really, I mean, it was a good defensive game plan by, by Las Vegas, but Herbert, Herbert and Mike Williams in particular really stepped up. Uh, you know, and you know the, they can't stop the run. They don't run the ball that well themselves. That, that's what really killed the Chargers in the end. 
Yeah, and some questionable play calling as well, uh, which is under Yeah, fire. the fourth and one. I mean, I don't care about the timeout, but when you go on fourth and one down three with tons of time left, you know, on your own 18 yard line, mm. give me a break. I mean, mm. I, I don't care. I don't care if you're a human computer, <laughs> nothing in the world, you know, and there were this, some of the guys were saying, Oh yeah, we've got a better chance of winning. Yeah. Be real, you know, look at, look at the situation in the game. Mm. I love that. It was what supercomputer is disagreeing with you vehemently wherever he is, whichever bar he's hold up. I'm, way, right I'm still yeah. way ahead of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like. finally punked AccuScore into the closet. That's all I care about. Uh, hey, listen, Mike, breaking news, by the way, uh, we've been nominated. The show has been nominated yes. in the Sports Podcast Awards. How about that? On the best NFL show. And, the, and this is particularly nice, Edge. Thank you very much for the nomination in Sports Podcast Awards. But our, our listeners can vote. You can vote for your favorite pod and that counts it kind of like uh much like pro bowl voting i guess an element of it counts to, uh to see if we can uh so we can be yeah, that. You vote all you want and then one guy in a closet somewhere makes the decision yeah. as to who got the most <laughs> exactly. vote votes i like to think we're like the sort of seven that's the way the nfl bowl. used yeah. to do their favorite announcer polls <laughs> <laughs> was it harbarkish that would vote for it in a, in a closet yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway but listen this but is yeah, where, yeah this please is go have. vote and and if you do go vote vote for us vote for us sports podcast yeah, we, we need to get we need to get those like Charlie Varick kind of um, um, work suits, coveralls. Um, oh, nice. Let's say Charlie Varick, last of the independents. <laughs> oh, I like that. I, I think we should work with much. Great movie. If, none, if some of you haven't seen Charlie Varick, I recommend it highly. One of the great 70s crime films. Producer Ollie won't have seen it because it was made before the year 2017. So <laughs> watch anything <laughs> before that point. Anyway, sportspodcastawards.com. Uh, head on over. Uh, the different categories in there, football, blah, blah, blah. NFL is where we are. American football, they've written as. And vote for us. Uh, we would massively appreciate that. All right. Let's talk Black Monday and uh, Michael Black Sunday. If you're, uh, oh, can I just get in one more play? Tom Kennedy to Khalif Raymond. Oh, Tom Kennedy. What a Dan, Dan Campbell's never give up, bite their legs off, um, whatever kind of thing. Yeah. Two guys from New England, mm. D2 colleges in New England or one double A, I guess, nowadays. Um, Holy Cross for Khalif Raymond, Bryant College in Rhode Island for um, Tom Kennedy. Tom Kennedy was a lacrosse player. Yes. Another one of one of my favorite guys. Oh, you boys. Look, yeah, just I don't know. He hadn't I don't think he'd played much during the season, but he's you know, he's probably in the running to be starting quarterback next year. He's definitely on the shortlist. He, uh, we, I was doing the radio show with Ben Isaacs, our friend Ben, of course, who is, as you well know, and as our listeners well know, there's nothing about the college game he doesn't know, Ben Isaacs, quite frankly. He looked absolutely black when I said to him. Tom Kennedy, what can you tell me about playfully? Because I knew <laughs> no idea where he was. So then he, he then look, you know, Ben can get very serious and studious and uh, refused to talk to me for a few minutes as he was deep diving into uh, into Google. And then he knows out, how to use Google. He knows how to use Google exactly. <laughs> and he dug out the Tom Kennedy lacrosse breaking breaking. Yeah, he actually there. played for the Boston Cannons. That's right. So Ben Ben told me that very fact. The moment he was telling me, I thought I'm. I'm gonna, amazed that the Patriots somehow missed him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Two things in life that I am confused by: Cordero Patterson, why he isn't still a Patriot and a fundamental part of that offense, uh, and Tom Kennedy uh, isn't a Patriot right now. Uh, right. Let's uh, speak of things that are baffling me at the moment, and it's not a high bar, admittedly. I might. Uh, what on earth are Miami doing? with Brian Flores in that point. I don't know. I know Brian, a, yeah, Brian Flores, clash, right? Brian Flores today must feel like Brandon Bolden did when he got that flag for not hitting the guy on the fake punt. 
<laughs> for unnecessary almost roughness. Almost roughness. So the, the book um, is that it's him and him and Grid just couldn't see that's, eye to Well, eye. you remember we we talked about this early in the year when right? when I talked um I mentioned that the strange thing to me was that they had let Kyle Van Noy and, and Ted Carrasco, who were some of the Patriots. I think they opened the training camp this year with about 10 expatriates on the on the on the roster. But they let those two go for cap reasons. And they had a plan in place that would replace them. But I said at that point, it, right now, to replace Van Noy, they'll need two guys because Van Noy is is one of those all purpose linebackers. Who you can leave in on for three downs on every series. And it took. It took them, it seemed to me, about half the season to figure out how that defense was going to work yeah. with the new. And it was good by the end of the season. Very good defense. But it, at that point, it seemed to me as well that there was a disconnect at the beginning of the season between Bobby, between Greer and, um, and Flores. Mm. And the owner, obviously, was coming down on Greer's side. Now, I don't know whether this was... For, uh, fallout from Deshaun Watson versus Tua, mm-hmm. uh, which you remember Ross really wanted Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. really wanted. I mean, he was leaking it all over the place, whether it was fallout from something else, um, you know, but obviously taking that team back up to nine and eight, beating the Patriots twice, and Flores is now four and two, I think, against yeah. Bill Belichick. Yeah. Um, you know, ju- just wasn't enough. And and to most of us, and you're a Dolphins fan, um, it looked like they had taken the right turn and we were going in the right direction. And, and next season, you would have a lot to look forward to because there's still a couple of holes in the team yeah. and they could address them in the offseason. Absolutely. If you think of, it's exactly right. If you think about the and this is very much as Flores's MO from the beginning, right, uh, in terms of his tenure as a Dolphins head coach, you know, leave and wanting more end strong, you know, and that's very much how, yeah. how he started out. And that's obviously how the season went. And you're right. You know, no ground game of, of any kind Tua yeah. banged up at times and, and a sophomore quarterback having gone through a rookie season, which was fractious because of injury and other uh, other things as well. I think pretty much the only thing I, ne- I never really saw. Um, or didn't agree with Flores on, and I've been a big advocate of his from the start, was the whole pinch-hitting fits last season with Tua. Whichever way you, you cut that and say, well, Tua's a strong character in Tua. I, 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 you know, I, I think it's not different to let Mariota coming in and spelling for Carr. It's a totally different situation. I think that would have caused inevitable, however strong-minded you are, uh, uh, an element you know, I, doubt. I, I, I kind of agree with you, but I kind of don't, because you can see this year, I think it helped Tua. You know, remember, he was raw. He mm. was a very, very raw rookie quarterback. He hadn't played his – he was rusty as well as raw. True. Uh, and so at times, if you're, go- if you're going to win the game, you needed to go with someone else. And if you're going to avoid inculcating bad habits into Tua, mm. you almost needed to go to someone else. Their offensive line still needs work, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And Fitz was a great, is a great guy to have on a bad – line because he moves around he takes hits it doesn't seem to bother him you know and whatever habits he's whatever bad habits he has it's an old dog who's not going to learn new tricks you know yeah they're they're in so i understood that at at the time and i I get i get that i get that point when you're talking about maybe a a game or a phase of games but in the get in a game in a certain situation and not a specifically a situation that lends itself favorably to the quarterback coming in like i say mariota to cast up yeah put it this way i don't think I don't think Tua was adversely affected personally by it. 
Okay. Based okay. on what he did this season. What he's done now, this season. That's now, a maybe, very fair maybe Greer or Ross were, mm. you know, maybe they, they didn't like that. I, I, maybe you can question Flores as coordinators, mm. which they did already, you know, when they got rid of Patrick Graham after one, after one year on the defense, right. Right. you know, I, there, there is some kind of disconnect between him and mm. the front office, obviously. But the idea to me was that when you look through the whole of Belichick's assistants who've gone on to coach of, elsewhere very few of them have been able to establish a culture not the patriots culture which some of them have tried to do but you can't do it if you're not bill belichick oh come on mike matt patricia but, established yeah exactly that, that exact example what was, was matt great, patricia's team's culture, culture you know um dysfunction disharmony getting rid of anybody who criticized him or anybody we didn't you know patricia in, in detroit you know, it was he walked in as if he were a really successful coach. Everything's going to be my way. Anyone who dissented was immediately out of town, including a couple of very good players who they could have used. He, he, he never kind of adjusted his his game planning to the to the players that he had. But Flores came in and he, I thought, established a culture. Yeah, we're going to be building. We're building toward being this. And, you know, he, he was willing to keep players who bought into the culture let other ones go. Mm. As I said, I think there might be some disconnect between the players who were let go and the ones he wanted to let go. Mm. But what you saw from Miami was a team that really needed to find its feet at the start of the season. And once they did, they, they were headed in the right direction. They won seven of the last eight games, yeah. and admittedly not the toughest schedule in the world, but you know, you, you, you just play who you have to play. Play, play who's in front of you. So I was thinking about this, Mike, in terms of, the easier of the two to replace. Uh, and Stephen Ross, if it was this, well, you got to pick, you got to pick sides, which it, it appears to be, right? Because reports coming out that they were trying to reconcile, or at least they were trying to find common ground, commonality that they could, that you'd have to be drinking buddies as GM and head coach, but you got to share the same broad vision, right? And clearly that's where they were, were fundamentally differing. And, and reports suggest that over the last four or five weeks, they were trying one last attempt at, look, we can work together and, and run this organization together. And, and clearly that, didn't play out as they'd hoped, right? So Ross had to to pick. Uh, that it's, is, we, so, it's so weird. It, it's weird that he would, but you know, it makes a certain amount of sense in that the inevitable the inevitable thing for coaches who who want to succeed or who start to succeed is to want total control, right? And maybe that's the simple answer. Point. Maybe maybe Flores was just looking for more control. more control. And the idea that he and Chris Greer could work together was kind of based on, in one sense, their mutual connection with New England. Right. Although Chris Greer's was fairly tenuous. It was his father, was Bobby, his you know, yeah, who sure. was who was the um the GM. And I think Chris cast scouted for them for a year or two. Parcells like era, that. right? He was Bobby Greer was with Parcells. Yeah. He and the first, I think, Belichick year maybe the first mm. couple of years mm-hmm. um but anyway but the same thing applies there and that might be the simple answer i think yeah, you got to put your yeah. finger on it right there that flores wanted more authority chris greer didn't want to cede it and ross in the end went with chris greer mm. and if i can just guess or extrapolate further ross will have less trouble getting his way with the gm than he would with the coach with the coach and to f- and further to that is it easier to in the current climate, and not specifically Miami, but is it easier to replace a head coach than it is a GM? In the same way that running backs, they're all there, antenna. You know, well, it's a, it's a tricky situation, which would lead us, you know, into Black Monday pretty nicely. Uh, the rest of Black Monday, because if you have a GM in situ, 
certain coaches are probably not going to want to go there. Right. You go into the job understanding that the GM is the GM and you're he's buying the groceries and you're cooking the meal to use the Bill Parcells mm-hmm. analogy. Um, but isn't there a risk to just on that if you're I get it. But if you're going into a situation where the GM hasn't been established and you're the first man in uh, is the implication that you will have a significant say or at least input in who the GM is yeah. going to be, as opposed to you could be coupled with somebody that it's a disaster. It's better yeah, the devil you know. ab- absolutely. And, you know, and, and there are some guys out there who will want to handpick their own GM. If someone mm-hmm. hires Jim Harbaugh, for example, he's, he's going to handpick his GM because remember he lost one of these battles in San Francisco. Right. Where, and he was even more, much more successful than Flores had been. And, you know, they had to choose basically between him and Trent Balky and they choose, they chose Balky and the franchise, the franchise had a tough few years. That, that went well. Do you, can you yeah. see Harbaugh coming back? Yes, I, I think I can. Chicago? I, I think um, he played in Chicago. Right. It would be one. Again, the GM thing would have to be worked out. And, and you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where the whole Phillips and ownership thing lies in terms of who who the GM is going to report to. They're making noise like they want to hire a GM first and then go on a coaching search. Oakland would be a place. Sorry, I keep saying Oakland. Las Vegas <laughs> might be a place for him. Um mm given that he, you know, he coached at Stanford and, and we're still thinking of Vegas as being one of the San Francisco suburbs, as long as, the, as long as the Raiders are there. Um, it would be a pretty good situation to go into. I think Vegas is attractive in a lot of ways in terms of the roster they have. That, they have. What, could Rich do anything in, well, obviously with the Super Bowl, but I mean, what, what if Rich plays tough and go, they go down, we'll talk about the game in a well, bit, but they go down swinging to the Bengals. If, is that if enough? They to win, if they win this week, is the case for firing him is going to be very difficult to make. Um, what if they play him hard? So they've made the playoffs. They, that's going to be, yeah, that's that's going to be a tough one. I'm, you know, what will they argue? It, they put together a pretty good team. It was in chaos. Rich, Rich steadied the ship as it were, can he take them the next step forward? That's going to be the, that's going to be the question. Mm. Um, Will a new coach come in and keep him as a special teams coordinator? Um, But I'm sure there'll be a market for him. Um, That would be awkward. Uh, I think he did that. No, no no matter what, what they do. Um, You know, I I think Denver's probably not as good a landing spot as some people think it is. I disagree. I disagree. They're a pretty solid team. And, and, but the idea that they just need a quarterback to be a, a top winning team, I'm not totally convinced convinced by that. Well, they're probably, that, why, they're why probably say, the best of those six teams that need that need coaches. The, though, the best game, in, that term, was the, the, in terms of how complete they are at the moment. Yeah, in terms of roster strength. And and I mean the thing is, you know, this is one of those is um John has John Elway uh lured Aaron Rodgers you know yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to come there. Um although if I were Aaron Rodgers, apart from probably wanting to prove something to somebody, there's not much reason, you know. I, I, maybe if Green Bay falter in the playoffs again, you want you want to give it another shot mm. with another team. Mm. Um yeah, but, you know, you, you all, go then. 13 and three for three consecutive years. Um MVP thir- back to or, back. Or 13, three and a half, or th- 13 and a half, three and a half in three <laughs> in the third in this last year, because they were going to win that game until AR sat down, basically. Um you know, on the on the on the um sorry, Mark, just on the Broncos emote, the course the dream for, for broncos fans anyway would be if they're available russell wilson or, or aaron Rodgers, right but what about um a level or two below 
but a quarterback that will represent an upgrade, like, for example, a Jimmy Garoppolo kind of type. Is he, would he Garoppolo's, be? Garoppolo would be a nice fit in Denver, I think, mm. um, for the kind of stuff they, they, want, they want to do. The one that, the, the move that intrigues me the most, well, there's two, actually. Russell Wilson to New York, to the Giants. I don't know what you do with Danny Jones, but um, maybe trade him along with, you know, they've got two first round picks um, or they could, the Jets could always trade Zach Wilson and then they wouldn't have to change Russell Wilson's jersey. <laughs> just have Wilson on the back. They could save some money that way. That's a great um, idea. But the one that really excites me when I think about it is Russell Wilson to Pittsburgh to replace Ben. Oh, now, I, I don't know that. what Pittsburgh could give them. <laughs> in in return but um but that would be that would be to me a kind of perfect fit of, of wilson and uh, mike tomlin on the on the sideline what a partnership that would be wilson to to the giants i can't because they're gonna a play like that's gonna want to go to to a contender or near yeah. contender right i i you know i suspect the giants still think Danny Danny um is their quarterback of the future is joe uh, judge their coach of the future because he well he, he is they, like monday but they said so they, they said it, so they specifically yeah. said so and and you know gettleman's assistant is going to likely be the new gm so nothing's going to change mm, gonna change which means it. nothing's going to change mm. um <laughs> iron mike wisdom of the day yeah, hot take mike um, with um with with mike zimmer and the the vikings i was thinking about his co- you know, collective tenure there right and it was Reminds me, uh, or it was similar to Kirk, the Kirk Cousins era and Kirk Cousins as a quarterback. Good, but not good enough. That's kind of how I viewed that. Is that is that a fair call? I think so. Um, and you know, he he is what he is defensively, and it's very mm. good. Um, it can be you can get around it. Remember this year they didn't have Adam Thielen for mm. most of the year, and that that changed the nature of their offense considerably but yeah. they've they've really been undermanned on the offensive line for a long time um and he hasn't seemed to worry that much about it his his coordinating offensive coordinating choices have been kind of strange and in, in a sense um his son is you know it's another nepotistic organization but his son is one of the defensive coordinators surely not. Surely not. um but you know, I, I think you. I think that's a, a fair judgment. Good, but not good, but not great. Um, in his seasons, he, he averages out to a nine and seven record. Now, the last two years brought that down, but yeah, you know. And then you're starting to hear this kind of my way or the highway business. Um, yeah, you know. And and well, that's, and that's happened to North, the, wasn't it? North got North got shown the door. Yeah, and, but that's one of those things, and it's less true in football, I think, than in some sports because it's hard to change, but, but basically hard nosed coaches wear out their welcome. Eventually mm. Bill Parcells is a good example of that. There's no coach. I think ever who's been better at a one year turnaround with a team than Bill Parcells coming in, knowing what he wants, turning a team around, building it within a couple of three years to being a, a contender having, but then you start to wear out your welcome, yeah. especially if you're not winning the big, you know, the big enchilada. So um, Lex and then Ryan, they bring would you have in Rex in that in that group? Pardon me. We'd have Rex Ryan in that group as well. That's st- kind of in a, in a different sort of way. But Rex almost it, it, Rex almost it's almost he almost wears himself out. 
<laughs> but but everyone gets tired of the the blowhard the blowhard stick. Yeah. Blow um, but then you bring in an easy rider kind of coach, a guy who's going to keep everybody happy and on the same page. And then they eventually get taken advantage of more or less. But and then you bring in another ass kicker. Um, you know, it, you can see it in other sports a bit. Baseball's notorious for it because with the long season and you know the the winning and losing that every team has during the season, it's not oh kind of you have to win every day business um it becomes more evident who who the guys who are glorified cruise directors are <laughs> and that can work in baseball you know sure. i think casey stengel said the the key to managing is is keeping the two guys who hate you away from the 12 who aren't decided <laughs> <laughs> i can just on a slight tangent uh, but a connected one nevertheless mike carlson is a cruise director what if he was going to iron mike cruise a love we, boat what could we, <laughs> we you need a minnesota you need a minnesota you would smooth what <laughs> i get one think? of those white outfits you know like gavin mcleod used to have i the, love it you know and be the skipper <laughs> and say goodbye to all the passengers and they were disembarking what would be on the carlson what would be on the carlson cruise well the music what would be what would be your programming in terms of music no, oh, it depends yeah, on how old yeah. how old the um how old the love boat uh, customers are. If they're if they're kind of my age, it would probably be a, a, a nice blend of jazz in one club and, and 60s 60s music, you know, rock in the other. And if they were younger people, it'd be 50s rock. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all they understand. I <laughs> three <love> chords. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no synthesizers. There, there is a bar east of Dalston right now that is solely playing 50s rock. You realize <laughs> I promise you that. Uh on the Broncos and Vic Fangio, if we talk about Zimmer's overall record despite uh dropping down the last couple of seasons for different reasons. Fangio never really got going did he as Broncos which ends with a 19 and 30 record yeah I mean it, it's a tough situation when you're a defensive specialist and your general manager is giving you turkeys as quarterbacks mm. um you know you really would have to have somebody who's, who's an exceptionally good offensive coordinator to help you out in those situations um I think Vic Vic is what he is he's you know I, I remember him back from the Philadelphia Stars era when when it was the Jim Mora um, defenses that produced Dom Capers and, and a couple of other coaches besides Fangio, but he's a really good defensive coordinator, r- really smart. Um, and if he wants to keep coaching, I'm sure he'll get a defensive coordinator job somewhere um, mm. because he literally is that good. But, you know, you just didn't get the sense that he was a head coach in command of, of the ship. Yeah, you know, um, and uh, that's that's always a bad bad proposition. That's never a great attribute to, or uh, or otherwise to have as a head coach. Just two very quick points on uh, questions for you, Mike, on this, and then we'll we'll get into looking at the wildcard weekend. In terms of Flores, first of all, is there a possibility that he bounces straight into a, a head coaching gig at Jacksonville? Maybe it's a possibility. I suggested that last night I, mm. it, because I think that whole culture building thing is important for a young team, and I think that's what. Shad Khan was thinking of in terms of Urban Meyer, but he didn't really think it through or he got, got conned basically. Um, <laughs> it, it's um, th- that would be, that would be a good, a good spot for him. Um, maybe, you know, maybe looking at it. Um, the problem is that when you look at Denver or Minnesota, you, you're losing defensive coaches. Mm. You don't necessarily want to bring an, another defensive coach in, um, you know, and, and I don't think culture is the, is the thing in, in Vegas 
I'm not, I'm not sure about building culture in Vegas. Um, so that leaves Chicago as the only other open job. And I think he'd be a good coach in Chicago, but I, but I think they'll be looking for someone who's going to make more, more of a name. And then the question for Flores is, does he want to go as a defensive coordinator somewhere else? As, right. Or, sit out a season and, or does and he want to sit out time. a season or maybe even take a college? I don't know. Yeah, a- um, see what happens in, in colleges. The interesting thing is I know Gerard Mayo is getting yeah, some looks. Yeah, yeah. If he were to go somewhere, I wonder if, Flor- if Flores would go back to New England as D.C., oh, which nice. would then set up a great succession battle. I mean, this oh, is McDaniel C. Flores. It, it's Shakespearean. Yeah. If, if McDaniel stays and if Flores were to come in and Steve <laughs> Belichick remains like co-defensive coordinator or something like that, you'd have this amazing succession battle. It would be, you know, it would be hard knocks for a full year uh, if you wanted. <laughs> but, you know, maybe McDan- McDaniels, for example, could go back to Denver. Mm. Um, he, he might not want to, but that, oh, that God, would seem to be a place where they might they might look at him. And, you know, I was making the list of God, there's so many candidates. I was going to ask the second question. So you fire away, Mike. I was going to ask you, who's on a Carlson's shortlist? Well, my shortlist and those and the shortlist would be a different thing. So I think yeah, yeah, Eric yeah. Bieniemy is going to get interviews, mm. and and it would not surprise me if he didn't get hired again. Do you think there is an argument here? And I know I get the whole well, it's Andy Reid's shadow and everything else. But yeah, you mentioned Jared Mayo, and he is uh, obviously hasn't had a coordinator gig yet. No. Uh, so. He was in, I think, involved in the interview process last year. I think he interviewed well. He had last one. Year. In, he had an interview. Yeah. So, is there, a, and and again, he'll get some more this time, even if he doesn't land the big gig. Is there an argument that the enemy just isn't interviewing very well? That it's possible. Thing? I mean, we don't we don't know that. I don't see a reason why he shouldn't be interviewing well. You know, from everything that I've heard and seen, um, I think the Andy Reid thing is part of it. The fact that he's an older assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and now getting it, you're going to get your first head coaching head coaching gig. Um, Fangio, for example, is an example of why teams shy away from that. Yeah. Um, you know, there there are ex head coaches around if you're interested in going with that. You know, Peterson and Jim Caldwell uh, kind of jump out at you. Anthony Lynn is available. <laughs> Anthony Lynn's available. Yeah. yeah. There's a bunch of good defensive coordinators, some of whom have head coaching. But I think Todd Bowles is due a second chance mm. away from the Jets. Um, Vance Joseph, maybe um, Dennis Allen of the Saints. Um, Let's you know, see, Frazier. He's on the name in the Leslie Chicago. Frazier's going to. He's going to be Vance Joseph's going to be in there. Aaron yeah. Glenn is a young and up and comer as a coordinator. Um, you know, kind of in the Mayo thing, but he has been a coordinator now. Eberfluss, yeah. I liked last year, and I still think Eberfluss would make a good head coach. And Dan Quinn. Has, yeah. cu- has come off a really good season with Dallas as a defensive coordinator. Because well, Kellen Moore is getting a lot of hype, as we talked about on the show, but Quinn, uh, there's, I guess, yeah, has Moore, had a more impressive season given what he's done with the, that personnel. And yeah, Moore is interesting. I think Moore would be better suited to stay in Dallas and become head coach. Mm. Um, but I don't think Jerry Jones is going to fire Mike McCarthy and promote more um and mcdaniels obviously teams will be looking at the enemy the other coordinators i have i'm not excited about mm. um that's a fun list <laughs> coordinators yeah, well, i'm not excited about left which you know jacksonville might look at him but i don't think he's he's like the enemy he's young he will he will get a chance eventually i think but right now he's in a shadow yeah. um in in uh in tampa um people were talking about Kevin O'Connell, who you 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 and I met 
when we were down in New England for preseason, when yeah. it was like a, a third round draft pick coming in for the uh, wasn't the Jared Patriots. Mayo? I think Mayo might have been drafted that year as well, right? Was he like two thousand eight? The summer two thousand eight was Mayo. Two thousand eight. I, I think Mayo was already there. The what's his name? Cable, the linebacker with the skinny legs, was was um, was there. You know, I'm not convinced. Yeah, no, Mayo was drafted in two thousand. That was his year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, well remembered. God, time flies. Um, I'm like. Steichen in Philadelphia, mm. I've seen mentioned. Nathaniel Hackett, who nice name. I'm not convinced. Yeah, <laughs> nice name there. Brian Dable, I'm not convinced about head coaching um, ability. So, I mean, but there are, the, the point is there's a lot of guys out there, you know, mm. and unfortunately, Todd Haley got snapped up by the new the new USFL. <laughs> he's off the, he's out, of the, out of the running. He's I am running. a good obsessive with this. I mean, you went Shakespearean. I'd say WWE three-way Flores, McDaniels, Belichick cage match, uh, <laughs> tables, chairs, and ladders. Whatever. Yeah, one of my favorite little memes is that one where Belichick's coming out. I think it's in Detroit, mm. and they use they play the um, the Royal Rumble kind of it, where the glass <laughs> where the glass is shattering and Belichick comes Stone down. Cold music. Stone Cold music. Yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant. You know? That is great. That is great. Hey, we put out a. a a Hogan macho uh, gear for the boys on social did uh, for our show today, the mega powers. And uh, somebody said, if, uh, if battle to who does the best macho man. Oh yeah. But somebody said, who's the miss Elizabeth in this scenario, which I think we should steer well clear of. Uh, that um, what I, you mean on the MC show? I guess that was the point. Yeah. If we you only have one Hulk, candidate as far as I know. Holly is the miss. <laughs> uh, that wasn't why the one I had in mind, but there, uh, but there you go. Um. Uh, okay. Uh, let's um, let's get to, we've got, we got a lot of ground to cover. And speaking of the mailbag, we're going to get into that. Yeah, well. let's, let's cover um, that ground. Let's cover that ground. Let's start with the Raiders Bengals, Mike. So, well, we talked about a number of the, the key Raiders protagonists stepping up. Uh, against the charges. And that's going to be interesting with whether Max Crosby can replicate that kind of wreckage against a, a Bengals line that you can, you can get to borrow, right? It's yeah. not exactly uh, the line that Bengals fans would want to have. I think you put your franchise. finger on, on one of the real keys and, you know, Cincinnati won in Las Vegas, but the game wasn't as one-sided as it looked because McPherson had that, he kicked like four field goals and three of them were over 50 yards. And, you know, one was, the other one was 47, I think. Um, so it was a closer game than you might think. The Bengals, though, have wet, more weapons. And um, if they can, if they can spread the ball out to three receivers, it's going to, it's going to force Oakland to adjust their their coverage and if they can't get the rush on burrow and burrow's been pretty good at avoiding the rush um just as as herbert was um if it becomes a shootout mm. i mean this is what i thought last week i said if it becomes a shootout san uh, san diego is going to beat oakland <laughs> you know old afl kind of guy um but if this becomes a shootout you'd have to think cincinnati is going to win that one right but they surprised us last week they're they're six and a half favorites. I think that's a little bit um, mm. a little bit flattering to the Bengals, but the Bengals are at home. The weather might well be bad. Um, I don't know. The, the U.S. is in tur- turmoil right now. So, um, but yeah. I like. I think the Bengals win this. You, yeah, stronger roster. The reasons you've just said, I think that if they get out into a lead, it's going to be hard for the Raiders to keep up in, in a shootout. But let's say they don't. Let's say the Raiders succeed in in stifling and slowing that offense down. 
how does the flip side work in terms of Jacobs against this Bengals run defense? Renfro, Waller is well. That, see, that's the problem, and that's why I down I downgrade the Raiders in a sense. Is they want they want to run and get into the lead and therefore control the game. And if they can't do that, they're in a bit of trouble because mm. I mean Renfro's had a brilliant season, and you know, and everybody he's not getting much kind of love in terms of postseason accolades because he's fun to Renfro and he's sneaky mm. fast. He's, um, We've been he deserves, showing him some love on this show. I might he de- yeah, he, deserve, he deserves some, but they're not going to game break you, mm. you know, so you can sit in your zone defense and play to stop the run um, at the same time. And, and I think mm. to me, that's, that's what makes the difference between the two teams. Okay, Pat's Bills, I- intriguing because they've yeah. split them during the season. I'm hearing a, a, a logical and fairly prominent argument that if you give Belichick a third look at you in a season, even if, again, we're talking about a roster mismatch in terms of on-paper talent, and I know that they're trending in different directions right now in terms of form, but if you give Belichick a third look at a team, it spells trouble. Are you yeah, buying you know, into that? In, in this case, I don't think it matters so much because... He didn't need a third. He didn't need a first look. He knew what Buffalo is. Buffalo's not much different than they were last season or the season or even the season before. Mm. And you know, the, the key to stopping Buffalo's offense is to keep Josh Allen in the pocket and make right. him beat you as a pocket passer. And we all know this. Um, and I don't think they're gonna the question is how well you do it. When they went up to Buffalo, they were helped by the elements, which you know, which which rendered Josh Allen much less effective. And I still think in that, Mike, he, I know he didn't throw much, but I still think he was throwing quite effectively in that game, despite the elements. And there were a couple of strikes to Diggs in that game that were really on point. Yeah, but not, you know, just it was too difficult. Um, Mm. And the Patriots were controlling the clock as well as, you know, as well as the game. In in the game in New England, Buffalo jumped off to a quick lead. And what we have seen in these losses to good teams, to... Um, to Indianapolis and Buffalo and to Miami, who are not that good a team. I mean, I, I thought the Patriots probably were good. I, I knew they don't win in Miami. I said mm. this last week. I said, did, yeah. I, I still wound up in the end picking them. Of course. Though, <laughs> of you know, course. But, but I shouldn't have, but I did. But I did. Um, well, you got to give Akiskor a fighting chance, I guess. Yeah, but, um, but that, game, that game changed on the um, – pick six mm-hmm. and and on the on that call you know where they had my they had Miami stopped the call gave Miami a first down and, and they they basically let the air out of their balloon for a couple of plays and and that then now all of a sudden you're down 17 nothing they fought their way back in but they're not they're not a team that can score quickly um mm. they haven't had many really big plays um through the air all season and that's going to be the problem against buffalo because it is tough to score on buffalo to score quickly on buffalo uh they play really good zone defense they've been playing the same defense you know the whole mcdermott era um you have to beat them underneath so when you're in the lead with the patriots and this is what happened in buffalo they could do that they didn't have to worry about taking anything above but when you're chasing buffalo that's a bit harder so i think absent a break for the patriots and they haven't made many breaks against good teams um i I think this is probably a buffalo's game to lose a a, a lot of focus inevitably because he's a quarterback and he's a rookie and he's a a, a Patriots first round pick, which we don't see in the, in the Belichick area on Mac Jones and on the Patriots offense and not really one outstanding player, but it was grinding and had its identity and effective. But 
defensively, Mike, which of course for much of the season, the defense was rolling and was very effective. You, I think you might've talked about this a little bit in recent weeks, but expand upon it, particularly based on in the, in the context of the Dolphins game. What's going wrong with this Patriots defense? Why is it suddenly unraveling? Well, all of a sudden they're shorthanded in the secondary and the secondary is somewhat limited anyway. I mean, JC Jackson's a really good player and, and a ball hawking player. And those two are not necessarily the same thing. Um, mm. You know, the, the ability to be around the ball is, is a good and make plays is a really good trait for defensive back. But if you're a gambling kind of guy, it can hurt your team as well, as, which I said, I think about Diggs a, a few weeks ago. Um, you know, they, you have to take the rough with the smooth. You saw it. You saw it in the game of Miami when when they called the penalty on Jalen Mills against Mac Hollins, eagle on eagle action. And, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it was the the classic cheap interference call. The quarterback underthrows the ball. The receiver comes back for the ball. The defender gets in his way, coming back for the ball, um, and they call interference on the call on the defender. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like Belichick. I've never I. Haven't rarely seen Belichick so livid on the sidelines. Mm. He was on the field, you know, almost a minute later, still screaming mm. um, at, at the officials. But but Jalen Mills is five foot nine. Right. Matt Collins is six foot four, I think. Um, I can attest to that. Miles Bryant, were... yeah, Miles Bryant's five foot nine, five foot mm. ten. You know, so they, they're going to regret they, letting Gilmore go. Um, now they're in the playoffs, and now they're in this uh, matchup. Probably not because because long term, yes, I mean short term, you always would like to have Stephon Gilmore there, but you know, long term, they were going to lose him anyway. Uh, you know, they they probably should have got more for him, um, but you have to learn to live play without J.C. Jackson. I think is going to be a free agent again next year, mm. and that's going to be diff- more difficult for them to play. So so when you're playing the Bills. They do have good receivers. You have mm. to match up with all of their receivers, um, even even COVID David, um, uh, COVID Beasley. Um, <laughs> That's and, not not his name. Know, I'm Gabriel Mike. Davis. Gabriel Davis is a real good um, second, third receiver. You know, mm. I like him a lot. Diggs is great. Obviously, Knox is a good tight end. Um, you know, so you you and they'll use the backs out of the backfield too. So well, yeah, Singletary's starting a, to roll as well, isn't he? Uh, yeah, and that that will make all the difference if they mm. can establish the run game against yeah. the Patriots in Buffalo. Their line didn't play well. They got and Bearmore might be out for New England. I haven't seen an injury report, but he was injured on on the the play the play where. Tua went for the top, for the first down in the fourth quarter, and he's been a rookie sensation very quietly because no mm. one pays attention to the nose tackles unless they line up <laughs> at fullback and catch passes. <laughs> and then they love him. Eagles Bucks, uh, I guess you can simply distill it, this down into the Eagles love to run. They have to run really with with uh, a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, who is not a particularly poised pocket passer, although they're trying to develop that that side of, of his game up against one of the best in the business in terms of stopping the run. So yeah. if that yeah. happens, is there no. any hope for the Philly Eagles? That's not shell. That's not shell. Um, and um, I think they're getting back, you know, the Bucks are getting back Shaq Barrett. Um, mm. Fournette, I think is coming back. Um, Levante David, I think is back. It's so they're going to be tougher. For, they're going to be tougher um, for, for Hertz to kind of make up 
the difference in the running game if that's if that's what it's going to take. Um, now, Vita Vea might be slower carrying $75 million around with it. Um, <laughs> you won't but, have it yeah. on the field, I, I doubt. Anyway, Mike, oh, maybe really? on the sidelines in a wheelbarrow. I would leave it in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I don't see any... I don't see eight points leading people to go over to um, to take the Eagles um, mm-hmm. in this one. And, and Brady, as you saw last week, Brady, you know, with something to prove is is still a tough, a tough nut to crack. Now, the Eagles have a good offensive line. That's going to be a great matchup. They have a good defensive front. You know, they mm-hmm. they they played much better defensively the last have like six games or so, um, which partly is due to when you can control the ball, your defense is more rested and, and, and can do well. So, you know, it should be, it should be an interesting game, but, but when they played the first time, the, the bucks had like 40 to 20 time of possession, almost double the yardage. Uh, but it was, a, it, the score was relatively close because the bucks also had a hundred and, 20 yards in penalties in that game. Um, <laughs> wow. I looked, that, I looked that one up. Messy. Yeah. That is messy. Um, all right. All right, Mike. Key things you are looking for in the Niners Cowboys. This is the one I like. If there's going to be an upset, I kind of like the Niners um, to be the team that could create the upset. Um, to do that, though, Dallas, one of the interesting things with Dallas and Dan Quinn is Dallas's a much better pass rushing team than any of Dan Quinn's Atlanta teams were. And they can come at you with about three different guys off the edge, including Michael Parsons um, and Parsons will play inside as well. So I think that's, that's the one area where they have the real edge. If they can pressure Jimmy Garoppolo, um, they might be able, they might be able to turn the game around that way. The, the Niners have to be able to run the ball, which against Dallas will be a little bit easier than, than throwing the ball, I think. But to me, strangely enough, I think the Niners can keep that offense under control, but they're going to have a lot of trouble with their own offense. What, just what quickly on that, the, the 49ers secondary against the Cowboys offense, major mismatch, isn't it? That's part of the problem. Um, they do get, they do get pass rush. We'll see who's playing at tackle for Dallas. Uh, but San Francisco can be beaten in man coverage. And strangely enough, Cedric Wilson has been taking the top off of teams for the last couple of weeks, ever since Michael Gallup went out. And, and that has made C.D. Lamb in particular much more effective. Amari mm-hmm. Cooper hasn't been much of a factor in, in that time. But, you know, I, I think they're um, I think I think Dallas. I mean, although I say San Francisco um, to me is 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 good for good potentially for an upset. They're only getting three points if you're betting it, betting it that way. And I'd probably think that, you know, this, this is like a six point game or so. Mm. Okay. Steelers chiefs. Surely there is no way that (laughs) Roethlisberger can do it again. Right. I mean, or or is it going to be Najee Harris? I'm not convinced. Yeah. I'm not convinced Ben did it (laughs) as much as, (laughs) as it was out there to be done. Um, To be fair, he landed a few strikes in it, but I get, yeah, there's a, 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 clear regression you know yeah i mean i I think the matchup to watch here is a is tj watt against andrew wiley uh the Mm. right who's now the right tackle um the the chiefs offensive line is a pretty good line especially run blocking which is why they've gone to the run and that's going to be a strength against strength matchup yeah because you know tj watt gets all the publicity but cameron hayward in particular that front three for the steelers is is actually played really well uh, this season schobert has played well um 
Jacksonville let him go for nothing. And, mm. and he's played really well at inside linebacker, you know? So, so I think, um, for Pittsburgh, since they don't have, you know, if if you're going to if you're going to sort of be attacking Kansas City, you might want to go with their secondary, mm. which is what we saw um, Cincinnati do quite successfully. They drew a bunch of flags, you know, as, as well as some made some big plays. But who's Pittsburgh going to do that with? You know, right. you don't, they, they don't have a long passing game unless he catches you by surprise. Um, with all the attention to Kyle Pitts. Uh, which is in in most senses deserved. Pat Freermuth, yeah, yeah. The, the the Pittsburgh rookie tight end has been really good, um, and I, I really like I him. But yeah, hundred percent. It was on that. it was thirty six ten when they met. When was that? Couple only a couple weeks ago, three yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, December. And and that was a pretty fair reflection of the game. Kansas City didn't really play well. Um, well, it was a mad game, wasn't it? They just blazed into a crazy lead at the half. And yeah, then... and which is now what they do. They, yeah, yeah. they blaze into leads and then see if they can give them away. In the, in the, um, it reminds me of um, Jackie Kellogg, who played for the Niners and played in NFL Europe, telling me about practicing with Deion Sanders. He said mm. they'd be practicing and Sanders would let the receiver get an extra step on him. And then an extra step after that, and then an extra step after that, just to see how much ground he could make up. <laughs> and it, it drove the coaches crazy. Oh, God, I bet. It's <laughs> kind of like what you've been saying about Aaron Rodgers is just getting increasingly frustrated at how easy everything is, just nonchalantly yeah. uh, sidearming it. All right, so that is uh, uh, looks like it should be a straightforward win for the Chiefs. What about the Cards Rams? Maybe the toughest game of the weekend to pick, Mike, I think. Yeah, I, I think if this, this is the other upset game. And, and you know, um, it's interesting that the, the three the three NFC West teams are all kind of in that position of playing, of playing games. They can win um, in this one. Again, they, they split, they split their season series. But to me, the thing is the Rams were seven and one when Ro- when Robert Woods got hurt and they're five and four the rest of the season. Mm. And Matt Stafford obviously has not had a great December, but I think part of that is, is teams concentrating on taking Cooper cup away mm. and it's not as Stafford's trying to force the ball to Cooper cup as much as he has to take extra time to find somebody else to get the ball to um, when it's cup and woods, he can go one way or the other. He doesn't have to think about it, but it looks to me like he's thinking about, can I trust this guy to make the catch? Do I want to throw the ball when he's tightly covered, you know, can he come through? Even if it's Van Jefferson, you know, mm. um, he does, it doesn't look like he has that level. And and last week they didn't go with the run game. But before that, for a few weeks, they were really stressing the run game. And Sonny Michelle had two or three games in a row where he had like 75 to 100 and something yards in, e- in each game. Right. And that changes the complexion of the game um, for, for the Rams. I think the Rams can hold – Arizona's pass attack in um, um, in control. The problem with teams like Arizona for the Rams is that their primary rush comes from the inside with Aaron Donald. Mm. And as with Josh Allen, the key to beating Kyler Murray, even more so, is to keep, keep him, him in the pocket because mm. he can't see over the pocket. You know, he's got to move around in the pocket to, to get a good, a good um the Baker Mayfield syndrome, you could right. call it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, and not, which is not putting Kyler Murray down. No, no, sure. It's just a fact, right? Uh, but it's a fact. And um, so I, I think that's going to be, that's going to be an interesting matchup. And and again, it's one of those things where I don't know how you predict it. Sometimes you just say, look, they're going to be able to do this, but this is one of those games where it's like, 
well, if team A can do this and if team B can do that, yes. they'll win. But, yeah. you know, can can the other team stop them from doing that? The Arizona defense is very multiple in, in the sense Isaiah Simmons does Flexible. for them mm. what, what Matthew did. And, you know, he can be all over the field and make and make plays in, in that sense. Mm. So they will probably be hoping to catch the Rams on one of those going for someone but Cooper Cup plays mm. and, and beat Stafford that way. I mm. get the sense if the Rams lose this game, it'll be because Stafford turns the ball over. Mm. Okay, really good stuff, Mike. As ever, catch uh, the big man at Carlson Sports, patreon.com forward slash FMTE. Before we go, though, you want to raise a glass to Don Maynard. Yeah, Don Maynard passed away. Um, for those of you who don't know, he's in the Hall of Fame. There's only two AFL receivers in the Hall of Fame, and Maynard was one of the 20 guys who played all 10 seasons in the AFL. Lance Allworth obviously was the best receiver in the AFL, but uh, you could argue in the early years there was someone, but Maynard had the advantage of playing all 10 years and playing for the Jets when they won the Super Bowl, playing in New York, um, he was Joe Namath's deep target, not necessarily his favorite one all the time because he had George Sauer for a while, but he played in both the greatest game ever for the, for the Colts. And then we Bubank brought him in with the Jets after he'd played a year in Canada. Um, so he played in the game where the Jets, where the Jets beat the Colts in the Super Bowl to mm. establish the AFL as a real thing. He and Johnny Sample both did that. Maynard was great because he was a deep threat receiver in a league that didn't need deep threat receivers, one trick ponies, as it were. Um, so that was just why he only had that one season with the Colts back in the 50s. He also wore a single bar helmet for all of his career, which a lot of guys did in the 60s still. But his didn't have a, a chin strap. He was the only guy I can remember who didn't wear a chin strap. So he had this helmet sitting on his head with one bar and no chin strap. And you just thought every time he got tackled, you just waited for that thing to pop off yeah. like a temple. <laughs> but but he uh, he had like extra ear padding or something to, to to hold it on. And he was so easygoing and relaxed. Such so so a so much a Texas kind of guy who just lived and breathed football. You know, he he was graceful, um, low key, not not a showboat. Um, but a really effective player. Um, and, you know, like I said, to me, there's other guys in the AFL receivers who might deserve to be in the Hall of Fame as well, but I wouldn't kick Don Maynard out for any, Don, by any means. Don Maynard raising a glass and a fine way to wrap the show. Brilliant stuff, Iron Mike. Look after yourself, bro. We'll check it after the Wild Card Weekend Madness with you next week. Take care. It's going to be wild, Wild Card Weekend. Podcast Network.